we've been going this month, our sermon series is Building Together. Building Together. We've gone through a, a couple of lessons already, and, and I tell you what, uh, I really believe God is preparing us. I really believe that God is equipping us. Uh, there's great things that God wants to do in us and through us. Uh, we're not done yet. Uh, we're barely just getting started. And I really believe God is trying to get us to that next level. God's trying to get us to that next uh, level in our walk with him so that we can take on responsibilities, so that we can continue to build and see the kingdom of God grow and expand. And we know that if there's any kind of building process, it, it, it always starts with, with the foundation. Right? Whether it's a physical building like this uh, church here, if it's uh, maybe it's a work or maybe it's a movement or w maybe it's a business or even a marriage or a home, anything that's going to be built always requires a foundation. And, and, Jesus, and the Bible says that unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, they labor in vain, right? And so Brother Matt opened up the sermon series and he talked about prayer. And what a foundation that was laid, that everything begins in prayer. We seek God in prayer. We seek his mind in prayer. We seek his direction in prayer. God speaks to us in prayer. He reveals his will and his plan to us in prayer. And so whenever we want to begin something, we, we want to begin it in prayer. Pastor Dan talked about vision and casting vision and casting life uh, into that building process, into whether it's your marriage or your home or your family that vision that not only being able to see the finished picture, but also being able to see the details, being able to have the foresight to see those little things that might creep up that might try to hinder or slow down or stop the building process. And it's important that uh, when we begin to do anything for Christ, anything worthwhile, anything in our lives, uh, that we surround ourselves with faithful men and women that are like-minded. Uh, faithful men and women that will link up with uh, each other and say, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to see the work of God completed. We want to see what God has laid upon, uh, whether it's our pastor or our leader's heart. We want to see that vision come to pass. When we have different events, whether it's the bike, walk, and roll, or, or summit, or you name it, uh, oftentimes the leaders will have a meeting and it's usually to kind of get everybody on the same page. Uh, let's get everyone uh, geared up and ready to go and what's going to require, the, the, what the event's going to require. And oftentimes, different questions will come up, but it's always interesting that there's always fresh ideas or new ideas, different input, different uh, thoughts, and what if we did this, and how about if we add that? And, and, and that's what contributes to the success of any event, is being able to get like-minded individuals that might be different, that might be unique, uh, but still are bringing something to the table to make the event a success. Tonight, I've entitled this message, Connected and Protected. Connected and Protected. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verse 18, we're at this portion of the story of Nehemiah, and this is what we've been going through is, it's the life of Nehemiah and the work of God that was laid upon his heart. And he had already prayed. He had already talked to the king. He had already gotten the backing of the king. And now he was going to uh, get others involved. 
He was going to bring his plan of action and, and let the, the people of God know what he had planned to do. And he said this in verse 18. Then I told him about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. And if we can pray for this evening's message, uh, Father God, we thank you for the work that you have begun, Father. We thank you for the building process that we're in, Father God. We thank you, Lord, that uh, the foundation is solid, Lord. The foundation has been laid uh, many years ago. It's your word, Lord, that we have built on. We built our homes on your word. We've, Father, built this church on your word, Father God. And we know that a sure foundation will weather us through any storm or trial, Father. And I ask and pray, Heavenly Father, that you would knit our hearts together tonight. That we would be linked up, one mind and one accord, Father God. And that you, Lord, would just begin to reveal, Lord, your will and your plan for each and every one of us. And how we can contribute, Lord, and be a blessing in the kingdom of God. Father, I thank you for the honor and for the privilege, Heavenly Father, to be used by you. And Father, I pray, Lord, less of me and more of you tonight, Father God, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would move through this sanctuary, God, preparing our hearts, Father, in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. I believe it was 2013, 2014, Pastor Dan, Sister Christina got launched out into the city of East Long Beach to plant a church. And remember that conference, we were sitting in front, my wife and I, we were sitting in front of them and when they said, and out of the Norwalk congregation and mentioned their names, man, I was just excited, man. And I don't know if it was there that evening or back in church, but I remember just going up to him and saying, if there's anything you need, my wife and I are available, whatever you need. And I figured he'd say, well, come help me pass out flyers and we'll go have lunch and call it good, right? But what I didn't know is that he and Sister Christina were building a team. They were building a launch team. He had, he and Sister Christina and had prayerfully selected a group of individuals that were going to go out with them for about nine months and help get that uh, work launched. And I was amazed by the team that he picked because it was uh, a very diverse team. Some old, some not so old, right? Some uh, single, some married. Uh, different individuals, different backgrounds, different cultures, and, and yet uh, he was able to get them to be in one mind and one accord, that were like-minded. And the result uh, of everybody coming together was a church was born, a church was planted. To this day, there's fruit. I remember being out there, and our nine months was up, and we had to come back, and I was just like, man, I, Pastor Richard says, stay out there. We were ready to stay out there, right? We were excited because of what had been taking place, but when we came back, my wife and I, there was a a stirring that had taken place in my life. There was an excitement uh, that had been rebirthed in my life. There was a, a fire that had been ignited in my life. And I, I didn't come back from East Long Beach the same way that I left. And that was a result because someone had a vision and someone had a plan and someone was able to connect individuals. And those that were asked, they said, hey, I'm available. I'll go. I'll go and help. And being able to be a part of that building process, uh, it really changed and impacted me uh, in, in, in so many different ways. And see, Nehemiah, he understood that the vision 
and the burden that God had given him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, that he wasn't going to be able to do it by himself. That he was going to need faithful men, faithful women, ready to labor, ready to work, ready to get their hands dirty to see the work of God be established. I think you kind of know where I'm going tonight, right? After all, this was their home as well. Nehemiah didn't even live in Jerusalem, but he had heard about what had taken place and what had happened, and he was grieved. And God put this burden on his heart to go back and to rebuild. And so when he came to the people of God there and told them, this is the plan, I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, they understood exactly what that meant. See, this was their home. This is where they were birthed. This is where they were growing. This is where they were seeing their families get raised up. This is where they were seeing their lives be established. This was their home. And it's much like the house of God. This is our home. Many of us, this is the church we were saved in, born again in. This is the church where we've met our spouses and raised our children in and now our grandchildren. This is our home. This is where when we've been sick, uh, we've been made whole. When we were down, we've been brought up. When we were hurting, we were comforted. And the word of God came and said, it's time to rebuild that which was broken down. First thing that Nehemiah had to do was he had to unite the people. And the reason is, is because there's strength in unity. There's strength in unity. What Nehemiah did was he reminded them that there was a cause greater than themselves, but it was of high value to them. And when you value something, you'll invest in it. You'll invest. You'll invest your time, your finances, your resources, your talents. You'll sacrifice for what you hold value. You ever been to a car show? I see some heads nodding, right? You see a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears invested into them cars. I, one of them cars was worth more than, you know, all of my cars. But you see the end product of what someone holds a high value to, what someone has placed an importance to. And that's why we need to be careful what we value and what we put as a priority. Nehemiah wanted to unite the people. There's so many ways and so many different things that can unite people. You go to a sporting event and your team does well. Strangers are now brothers, right? A home run is hit and people are high-fiving each other and hugging each other. And I love the World Cup. Every four years, I'm a soccer fan because every four years, you just start seeing unity, you know, and the, the, the country of your origin or the country of uh, your heritage or you see them as they start getting closer to the to the final and the semifinals, you start seeing those flags and those jerseys all around town, right? And you see someone that's wearing the same jersey that, uh, that, you're, that you're representing, you're like, yeah, I'm connected to that guy right there, man. They know what's up, right? Olympics is the same. You see people coming together. You see that during times of tragedy and stress, people come together. People can be united. Natural disaster or terror attack after that initial shock uh, during the aftermath you watch the news and 
you start to see communities get together. You start to see communities either uh, helping the first responders or looking for survivors. Uh, there's something that's uniting them that they just can't sit back uh, and just be a spectator, that they have to get involved uh, with even if they don't know the people that were affected. They want to be a part of that. Nehemiah, when he was reminding the people of the work that lied ahead of them, they were in. They were all in. And they said all at once, yes, let's rebuild this wall. See, they understood what those walls represented. They understood that those walls represented uh, protection from the enemy. With those walls around that city being down, that city was open to attack from an invading army, from marauders, from bandits, from thieves, from whoever would try to come in and steal away their blessing or steal away their inheritance. And so they understood the task that was at hand. It was that those walls needed to be rebuilt for their sakes, for the sakes of their uh, families. And what we need to understand is that we each been called to a building process whether it's helping to build the kingdom of God or we're building our homes or our marriages or our families or building our lives, uh, there's always going to be that opposition that the enemy's going to try to bring. He's going to try to bring criticism. He's going to try to bring opposition. He's going to try to uh, be, bring naysayers that uh, that'll never happen or you can never do it, uh, you know. Try to distract away from what God is trying to establish and trying to build and try to do. And we got to come to that place and say, my marriage is worth it. My family's worth it. My church is worth it. My life is worth it. The things that God has done in my life, it's worth it. And so Nehemiah basically said, later, later for that. We don't got time for that. It's the mark of a good leader that even in the spite of criticism and opposition, he was able to keep the people of God focused. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. So I answered them, meaning his critics, and he said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But you, meaning his critics, you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. See, Nehemiah knew and understood that Jerusalem was going to be blessed. God was going to bless Jerusalem. And he was saying, you want to be a part of that blessing, it's going to take work. It's going to take you getting your hands dirty, right? But you're going to be blessed. You're going to be prospered because it's God himself that's going to prosper this work. It's God himself that's going to bless uh, the work of God that's taking place uh, and those of you that are criticizing and those of you that are, are, are trying to oppose this, it's not for you anyways. We got to remember, man, that God has blessings for each and every one of us. And when the enemy would try to discourage or discredit, he's not blessed. It's not for him. It's for you. It's for your wife. It's for your children. It's for your family. It's for your health, man. And that's what you got to just remember. Eyes are focused on Christ, man. Eyes are focused on what God has called me to do. My daughter Marty says, uh, God, I'm going to butcher this. If, you're not, if, if, you, if you don't got haters, you ain't popping. I hope I didn't butcher it. Man. I probably did. I know what she meant, and I don't know what she means, and I think you know what I mean too, is that there's just sometimes, man, people are going to hate, right? Nehemiah, he kept them 
focused on God, on the plan of God, on the will of God. He also kept them focused on the need, on the need. And the reason is, is that people come together when there's a need. People come together and unite spiritually in prayer and in fasting when there's a need for God to move. We see that in the book of Esther. When she called a three-day fast and prayers to, to see the hand of God move on, on, on the people of God. We see people, they'll, they'll unite financially when they feel that the need is worthy. GoFundMe. You guys familiar with that? It's that open forum where you can contribute to different charities. And I was reading a little bit about GoFundMe. Um, 150 plus million donations have been made through GoFundMe. Over 100,000 charities have benefited through GoFundMe. More than 1,200 times the top donor has donated on, on that uh, website. What does that tell me? Is that people are willing to give. People are willing to release. People are willing to sacrifice when they feel that that cause or that that need is worthy of it. People will unite uh, uh, physically when they see the need and they feel that they can contribute to that need. We always have so many different events going on here. Again, whether it's the bike, walk, and roll, or maybe there's an actual building project going on. I think every five years, it seems like we're redoing something in the church, right? Sometimes people say, well, I don't really have anything to contribute. I, I don't know how to, you know, I don't have a skill or a trade to, my, to, to, to lend or an expertise. Or, but sometimes, you know, just showing up means the world. Outreaches. Sometimes just being there at the outreach or even a church service. You don't understand how much you encourage the next person by you just being here, by your presence, by you getting through those doors. Coming up and saying, you know, uh, I'm not in this by myself. There's someone else that's linked up with me. And so don't undervalue or don't underestimate the contribution uh, that you bring into the kingdom of God. God didn't save you because he had nothing else to do. There's a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. And, and how we fit into this thing we call church, this thing we call the body of Christ. We know that ultimately the greatest unifier is Jesus. The greatest uniter is Christ himself. He can unite families. He can unite uh, um, marriages. He, he can unite people of different cultures and of different backgrounds. He can even make enemies brothers. There was a story I heard, World War I, that uh, these two soldiers were dying on the battlefield. One was from France and one was from Germany. And they were pretty close to one another and they made it their, their way to one another and they were both wounded. They both knew that they were going to die and they reached over and they grabbed arms. They clasped, you know, hands. And they began to pray. And they began to pray. And it was overheard that one soldier told the other one, Right now, we were enemies. We were killing ourselves. But in a few moments, there'll be no more war. We'll be brothers. That's the power of God that uh, even in death, he can unite enemies. And I've seen it time and time again. People from different neighborhoods, once rivals, once trying to take each other out. Man, all of a sudden, they're in the same house of God. 
lifting up their hands, worshiping the same God, loving the same Lord, laboring and co-laboring with one another. It's through prayer and coming into agreement that we become bonded and, and unified. Book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 19 and, through t- and 20. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Do we have two or three or more gathered in the name of you? Right? Fathers, wives, moms, husbands, daughters. You want to be united? Families, you want to be united? Pray together. Husbands and wives, you want unity in your marriage? Pray together. You want unity with your children and amongst your children? Pray with them. Pray with them. Teach them how to come into the presence of God. Come into agreement with them. Just like the Bible was saying, if there's two or three or more of you gathered in the name of Jesus, when you're praying, you're coming into agreement with one another. You're unifying, you're linking up, and you're saying, Jesus, we need you in this situation, whatever it might be. Our testimony of unity is, is, is an example to the world. Our, our, our unity, I'm talking about in the body of Christ, the house of God, our unity is an example to the world, especially right now because this world is so divided. The division is deep, and you turn on the media, whatever kind of media it is, whatever kind of news, and they're not trying to unify. They're trying to deeply divide each other more and more. And when people come into the house of God, they don't want to see that. They want to see unity. The sanctuary of God is a place of shelter. It's a refuge. It's, it's, it's a safe place. It's a safe haven. And what a beautiful sight to come into the house of God, and we're all worshiping God, loving the Lord, listening to his word in one mind and in one accord. That's a testimony to the world. That's a testimony to the unbeliever. It's a testimony to that one that is hurting and that needs to know that they're not alone. Book of Psalms, chapter 133, verse 1. says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Right? Jesus himself understood the importance of unity and the strength that it provides, and he prayed for unity. He made it a priority to pray for unity in the book of John 17, 23. He says, I am in them and you are in me. And may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus was making it a point. You want unity? Pray for one another. Pray for the the leaders, pray for the pastors, pray for their families, pray that God will continue to use them, that his hand would be upon them. Leaders, pray for one another and encourage one another. We're in this together. We're a team. We're a family. We need that, that prayer and encouragement. Pray for the, for the worship team. We have, a, we have a prayer every 
uh, hour, an hour before service. You might be thinking, I don't know what to pray for. Pray for the service. Pray for the worship team. You know, this group, of, this body of individuals that, this labor of love that they have, they have this love for God, and they, they're worshipers, but they go through it. They go through their struggles. They've got their, their issues just like each and every one of us have. And there's times where maybe they don't want to come to practice. Maybe they're tired. They've had long days at work too, and yet they come into the house of God early, and they set up, and they begin to practice, and they begin to lead you and I into worship. Right? We begin to, in that worship, all of the stress and the junk and the garbage that was on us all day long begins to melt away. Pray for the worship team. Pray for, its, pray for their leader. Because it's in that worship that that unity is being formed. It's in that worship that that connection and that bond has taken place. There's something, it's just more than coming in here and singing. There's something spiritual and dynamic that's taking place. Our hearts are being linked with one another. Luan was singing Echo, and I was like, man, that's exactly how I feel right now. God used you, Luan, wherever you are. There you are. See, when we get involved... In the building process, we're building connections. We're building friendships and relationships. We're building bonds. And those connections that we make, they protect us. Unity creates these connections. And as we build alongside one another, we're encouraging one along one another. When we're working and laboring with each other, you know, it's how we get to know one another. It's how we get to see what's going on in each other's lives and how we can be a blessing or an encouragement or how we can offer a prayer. And oftentimes, we become that lifeline for one another. I read this article uh, in uh, Smithsonian Magazine. Smithsonian Magazine. Man, I always have trouble with that. And it was basically about this book that was written. It was... Um, the Secret Life of Trees is the name of the book. And as I was reading this article, I was blown away. I was amazed by how good God is. Now, this magazine isn't a Christian magazine by any means, right? It's a, it's a science magazine. But as I was reading this article and, and, and what it had to, uh, to speak about, I could just see the fingerprints of God all over this topic. That we serve the creator of heaven and earth, and there's no detail that has been left unseen by him. He's taken care of everything, and, and we're just barely starting to even just maybe scratch the surface uh, on how intelligently designed each and every one of us is. The article is about trees, right? And it reads this. It says, since Darwin, we have generally thought of trees as striving, disconnected loners, competing for water, nutrients, and sunlight. The winners, with the winners shading out the losers and sucking them dry. But there is now a substantial body of scientific evidence that refutes that idea. And that's what we've been hearing, right? You know, we follow science, right? And it shows instead that trees of the same species are communal and will often form alliances or truces or agreements 
with trees of other species. Forest trees have evolved to live in cooperative, interdependent relationships maintained by communication and a collective intelligence similar to that of an insect colony. Some are calling it the wood wide web. Right? All trees here and in every forest that is not too damaged are connected to each other through underground fungal networks. Trees share water and nutrients through the networks and also use them to communicate. They send distress signals about drought and disease, for example, or insect attacks. And other trees alter their behavior when they receive these messages. Young saplings in deeply shaded parts of the forest, the network is literally a lifeline. Lacking the sunlight to photosynthesize, they survive because big trees, older trees, including their parents, pump sugar into their roots through that network. And here we see that here's this picture of a forest, right? How the, the forest is connected. All the trees in the forest are connected to one another. There was a part in the article that was talking about that even an uh, older tree, as it senses as it's dying, what it'll do is it'll pump out all the nutrients uh, that it has within itself, and it'll pump it right out into that network so that others can benefit from it. And I was thinking that if God took the time to work out this detail amongst trees, right? Trees, how trees need one another to survive and to live, how older trees help the younger trees come up. How much more in the kingdom of God? How much more in the body of Christ? How much more are we needed in the lives of each other? How much more have we been able to sow and reap in each other's lives? After all, the Bible says, right, that, that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. What does that mean? It's that we're all interconnected. We're a, a tapestry. And together, each and every one of us, as unique as we are, as individual as we are, man, we make a beautiful, beautiful picture. Beautiful sight in the eyes of Christ. Sometimes I think we can forget how important we are to one another. We can forget maybe sometimes how important people are to us. My, um, the, today was the, um, oh man, uh, what was that called? Uh, the farewell ceremony for the school. We have a school here at church, New Harvest Christian School, and today was uh, their last day of school, and they had their farewell um, uh, assembly, right? Uh, this Friday, we're going to have uh, our graduation service. And maybe you don't have a child in the school, or maybe your child uh, might be coming up to that school age, and you might be considering it, bring them out to this graduation service. You're going to see what the school is all about, man. You're going to see how God has a special hand on the school, right? My son is graduating, and so last uh, Wednesday, or Tuesday, last Tuesday, uh, they had the senior breakfast. It's a tradition, and so they asked the, the seniors that are graduating if they can say some few words, and one by one, they all came up, and you could see just the sincerity and the thankfulness that they had for their pastors, for their principal, for the staff, for the administrators, for their teachers. One by one, I'm just sitting there, and I'm thinking, just don't cry. Just don't cry. Just don't cry, man. Because, man, these were honest, honest hearts. 
that as they were reflecting on all they had accomplished, they understood this. Each and every one of them understood this. They didn't do it alone. They didn't do it by themselves. They had somebody in their corner. They had multiple trainers in their corner telling them, you can do it. You can catch up. You can finish these books. You can graduate. And they're going to be blessed, each and every one of them, as they walk down that aisle and hear their name uh, called out. And the alumni say, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Build one another up. Encourage one another. See, um, none of us, if we've been here for any amount of time, I've been here because we're some kind of spiritual giant. We're here because we have each other, because of, the, of what's been implanted and sown into our lives through the friendships, through the bonds, through the connections. And there's strength. There is strength in numbers. Bible teaches us to be strong and courageous. It instructs us to be strong and courageous. But there's just times where we might not feel strong or courageous. And there's times where we might feel like, I don't have numbers behind me. I feel alone in this. Maybe you're a teenager, and you're the only one serving God in your house. Maybe you're an older, and you're the only one serving God in your house, and you feel like, I don't have strength or numbers behind me. I just feel like I'm by myself. You got to remember that God is with you, that God is with you, and that there's sometimes God is going to ask you to stand maybe by yourself, knowing that he's there with you, and that if you take that stand sometimes and be that light and be that testimony, others will indeed follow. Moses, he had the courage to demand Pharaoh, let the people of God go. And what was the result? The people of God, man, saw their freedom, saw their, their liberty. Gideon, he took a stand and he destroyed the idol of Baal, one man. And what was the result? God gave him an army of, of almost 20,000 plus men to the point where God says, that's actually way too many. Let's lower that number down and gave them 300, 300 faithful men to stand behind their leader and say, we can take out the Midianites. We can defeat this army. David, right, taking lunch, serving, taking lunch to his brothers. Uh, and there they are being bullied and intimidated by Goliath the giant. And what does he do? He takes them out. And when they saw the head of that giant roll off its body, they got fired up, man. And they began to chase uh, those Philistines, that Philistine army away. They, they rose up because they saw one person taking a stand. And because one person said, no devil, this is my family, I'm going to fight for them. No devil, this is my church, I'm going to fight for it. When they took that stand, they rallied behind them. And you saw a mighty move of God take place and transpire. So I wind this to a close. Book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verses 9 and 12. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. 
but two stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. What is it saying? It's saying is that we do need one another. And when we stand back to back with each other and go to war with each other, not war with each other, but go to war with each other, man, ain't a devil in hell that can defeat the armies of the God, man. That's what the Bible says, that the gates of hell will not prevail. There's an old African proverb that says, if you want to travel fast, travel alone. But if you want to travel far, go together. And that's the truth because none of us have made it yet. We're not home yet. You know, and we need one another to encourage each other to continue to fight that good fight of faith. To continue to build one another. And, you know, how, many, how many times that I've gone through it that someone might have noticed and says, hey, what's going on? You all right? You good? Everything all right? Talk to me about it. That's, man, we need that in each other's lives. We need to be sowing that in each other's lives. As I close and as the uh, worship team comes up, I want to close with this story. Uh, you remember the starfish story? Anybody here remember the starfish story? Nobody remembers the starfish. Okay, as I tell it, maybe, okay, one person, appreciate that. Well, it's a good story, and I'm going to tell it, but did you know that there's a part two to that starfish story? Because every good story uh, demands a sequel, right? We got Rockies one through nine, or one through eight. You know what I mean? Star Wars, jeez, ran out, you know. The starfish story is this, is that there was a man walking along the seashore, and he saw that the tide had come in, and he washed a bunch of starfish onto the seashore. And he saw that there was this uh, young teenage boy, and he was getting these starfish, and there was thousands upon thousands of starfish, and he began to throw them back into the ocean, because if they would have stayed on the sand, they would have eventually died. And so he began to just throw these starfish back into the ocean, one by one by one. A daunting task, right? And the man on his way to work, uh, he sees this uh, young kid and he says, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm saving these starfish. And the man says, well, do you really think you're going to make a difference? Look at all the thousands of starfish. You really think you're going to make any kind of difference? And the kid, he gets a starfish and he throws it back into the water. And he says, well, I made a difference to this starfish right here, right? Part two, the man goes off to work, but all day long, he's just thinking about the conversation. He's thinking about the actions of this young man. Lunchtime comes, and he's thinking, man, you know, I, I, I wonder if he's still out there. It's already getting, getting kind of hot, you know. He says, leaves work early because he wants to go down to the beach and just see how this young man had fared out. And when he gets to the beach, he's amazed because the beach is crowded. Hundreds of people are out there throwing starfish into the ocean. And the man, he finds the kid in the midst of everybody, and he says, what's going on? When I left you, you were here by yourself doing this. He says, yeah, it's funny that as soon as you left, these surfers came, and they saw what I was doing, and rather than go about their day surfing, they decided to help me. And so they started throwing starfish into the water. Well, later on, a mother and her kids, they came, and the kids, rather than build sandcastles and play in the water, they wanted to do what we were doing, and so they started throwing starfish into the water. Well, the mother thought this was so cute that she put it on social media. 
And all of a sudden, it started trending. Local kids are saving starfish. And so people started coming out one by one to help save the starfish. Well, it started trending, and it got so, so popular and so big that um, the news found out. So Channel 5 went out there, and they brought their helicopter, and they began to show live uh, all of the different community uh, members and all the different people that rather than just being at the beach having fun, they were helping save the starfish. Someone at the uh, aquarium, they saw the news, and they saw online what had been taking place, and they said, check this out. And so a team of oceanographers, uh, they went out to the beach, and they said, look, we're going to try to figure out how we can prevent this from happening again. But we brought a team and resources to help uh, save these starfish. And the man was just amazed. He was amazed by all of that that had taken place. He said, really? It just started with one? He said, it might have just started with one. He says, but everybody came out, and everybody had a part to play, and everybody is doing their part. And as a result, we might not save all the starfish, but we're saving a whole lot more than if it was just me by myself. So that man, he joined in, and he began to toss starfish into the sea. And church, we are blessed. We're saved in our right minds. We have our spouses with us. We have our children with us. God has done so much in our lives that we can't just, just be about our own lives and, and not remember that there's someone out there that needs what you have, that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that good news, that gospel message on the tip of your tongue that Jesus can help them in their circumstance, that Jesus can help them in their struggle. We are a church that still believes in reaching the laws, that still believes in the Great Commission to go out and make disciples of all nations. It's a mandate that God has given us, and I think in a time like this, it's, it's something that we, each and every one of us, need to take an inventory and say, what am I doing? What's my part? Sometimes we just need to get in, get in, get in, get in that fight and understand that uh, God's coming. And whether he tarries or not, we still have a work to do. And what a blessing and what a privilege that we've been counted worthy to be a, a, a part of what God is doing. Right? It says, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. Amen. If we can have our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight, reverence to God.